Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The Formula One World Championship season may be dead and buried in terms of who wins the titles, but the Brazilian Grand Prix proved there's plenty of storylines still to come. We had a great battle for the lead with two overtaking manoeuvres, Red Bull back on form and winning. We had a Ferrari Ageddon with Vettel and Leclerc coming together. Pierre Gasly getting a most unexpected podium. Lewis Hamilton getting his first in-race penalty for a collision for quite some years it's a race that had absolutely everything we even had a uh, Carlos Sainz getting his first podium after the race had finished so uh, massive amount to, to get into Scott Mitchell well, you must be very excited I'm extremely excited I've had some uh, triangular shaped chocolate uh, there, we, we don't do brands here on the Autosport podcast so I'm uh, we do I'm, brands hatch sometimes ah uh, very good very good I am in uh, I'm in a I'm in a quite a yeah I'm, I'm, I'm perked up it's always nice when uh and you have a mega race, and I thought it was already a, on its way to being quite a, quite an interesting Grand Prix. And then the last few laps just means uh, this will go down as uh, just one of the most spectacular races of. So it's got to be one of the most spectacular races of this engine era. Yeah, certainly massively, massively eventful, and uh, yeah, as you say, it kind of built to a crescendo. Certainly, my, my day got a lot bit a lot better, seeing as I actually when I got up in the morning, I I I, I got out of bed in my hotel room and. Uh, stood into what appeared to be a swamp after a substantial overnight leak. And my day also got better because I woke having to deal with some uh, credit card uh, fraud prevention this morning after my credit card appears to have been cloned while we were in the United States a couple of weeks ago. Yes, we've done very, very well. I managed to track down the leak. What a turnaround. Exactly. I managed to track down the leak to to, uh, the bathroom and uh, after drying out various personal possessions and electronic items, uh, did manage to get going. Well, there's so many topics we can get into. I, I kind of feel like we should maybe start with the Ferrari collision. Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc, of course, both out of the race uh, as a result. Costly for uh, for Ferrari as it cost them uh, it was third and fourth place at that stage, wasn't it? They were uh, they were running in. Well, what do you make of the uh, of the whole thing? Can you kind of talk us through how you saw it? My opinion and the facts of the matter, I think, are quite closely aligned on this one because. For once, for once, this is this is not some vintage Scott Mitchell hyperbole. Uh, Leclerc absolutely mugged off Vettel into the first corner, didn't he? Lovely move, really late down the inside. The sort of move that really rams home. Sort of who who's the who's the boss in the team? That's that's what it was to to my mind. Uh, but Vettel tried to fight back immediately on the exit of turn three. Had the DRS down to turn four. Leclerc moves to the left to defend and Vettel was on the outside on the right-hand side. And at this point, as he's 
catching Leclerc and about to draw alongside. He's pretty much level. I think he's, he's pretty much on the white line all the way down to turn four. But then, inexplicably, Vettel moves to the left while still side by side with Leclerc. Doesn't stop moving. They make contact. And it's a, it's not a huge uh, hit, but the consequences are huge because it breaks Leclerc's wheel and it gives Vettel a puncher. And all of a sudden, Ferrari's race has imploded and this Vettel-Leclerc dynamic that has been very tense at times this year, but only ever really in the form of team orders and status within the team, it's never manifested itself in some on-track controversy in terms of the way they race one another. All of a sudden, it's spilled over massively and it feels like this has been coming for some time. And for the first proper on-track contact flashpoint to be this significant... Ferrari's got a massive problem on its hands because this wasn't... The stewards viewed this as a racing incident, basically. They said that no one was predominantly to blame. And I I could not disagree more. It's In my view, it's clearly Vettel's fault. I think it's, I think it's borderline petulance from a four-time world champion to react that way after being mugged off the way he was by Leclerc. Yeah, I think on the, the stewards' decision, I think the, the unofficial teammates no one else involved collision rule has uh, has applied there and uh, and saved them from a from a greater well any penalty uh, in fact but yeah i'm not, not sure whether petulance is the right word for Vettel, but i know what you mean i think it's it's just the red mist isn't it he's he's been basically mugged by leclerc into the first corner he's desperate to get back past he's dri- he's evidently just either decided to or because he's not completely completely focused for whatever reason and just drift over on it on his teammate and We've seen this time and time again. Our shades of Turkey 2010, for example, we drifted over on uh, on Mark Webber. Fractionally different circumstances, but the dynamics of the incident have uh, plenty of similarities. Start Singapore in 2017 when he caused that uh, that that start shunt. And I, I really like Vettel as a driver, but he just within that Ferrari environment doesn't seem to consistently keep under control the side of him that makes him not such a good driver. And I think that's what we saw today. Just a, a bad reaction, red mist, and horrendous consequences for Ari. And that you cannot in any way attribute, I think, any blame to Leclerc other than for having the temerity to race against his teammate, which Mattia Bonotto has said is absolutely fine. So Leclerc totally in the clear. Balls in Vettel's court on this one for me. Well, what annoys me is that they say that both drivers could have taken steps to to mitigate the circumstances, but that's nonsense because the rules clearly state that all you need to do as a driver is give the other driver one car width, right? Leclerc clearly gave Vettel more than that because Vettel was up against the white line and was able to move at least around a car car width and a half in terms of where it was to the edge of the track because he moved about half a car width over towards Leclerc. So... Leclerc did everything right by the rules. So what 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 are the stewards saying here? What precedent is this setting in the middle of all of this let them race we want to see harder racing? What you're basically saying there is that when Vettel moves across Leclerc has to move over. Otherwise if the other driver moves into him and causes contact, he has a part to play in that incident. That's absolutely nonsense for me because Vettel's not racing hard there, he's driving into somebody and at that speed it's really dangerous. So I just I I just I can't agree with the decision in the slightest. If you are moving over on someone on the straight, ask them to to take evasive action, it is your fault. What's more, Vettel had the DRS, he had greater momentum, he'd have had to finish off the move, I think, into turn four, the left-hander around the outside, but I think he basically had half a hand on that position, he didn't even need to do that, so it's, even from that perspective, it's it's poor racecraft, but yeah, the, uh, um, the stewarding point, as I said, I, I just think it's that they've just let them get away with it on the grounds of their but, teammates. But, and but do you think involved. that's right? Do you think that that should come into it? In an ideal world, probably not, but... I think it's I think it's a pragmatic position that, that that they take. We've seen this a few times. As an example, last year perhaps with the two Hus drivers at Silverstone on the first lap when because the only people they inconvenienced were themselves, it was kind of allowed to slide, which is not necessarily correct. I, I, I can see the reason why pragmatic, but put it this way, if, if Vettel had been given some license points for it or something, of course Vettel, I can't remember exactly where he is up against the uh, the potential ban. I, I know, I know he's lost some, but he's still not kind of 
it's not he's not on zero. He's not in the clear. No. So, uh, but they can't give they they've messed up the license point system when they introduced it. They tied it to set penalties rather than uh, uh, giving them as as kind of penalties in themselves, as it were. But that's a, that's another topic. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't see any excuse driving into people on straights is is not acceptable. And it's incredibly dangerous as well. It is incredibly dangerous. The other thing as well, from Ferrari's point of view, is that that should have been a really, really positive race and a positive storyline for Leclerc because he charged up from, where did he start, 14th, and it would have been third place for him, potentially, because he could have gone after, he'd have been in a position where he might have been able to attack Albon, who had obviously passed Vettel. And in any case, this was a considerably stronger performance from Ferrari than they showed in Austin. So it should have been all round quite positive. There was obviously more scrutiny on, on them after another FIA technical directive and this attention over their engine advantage won't just, just won't disappear. But Ferrari, for all the positivity, for all the improvements they've clearly made of their car because they weren't that much slower than Red Bull through the twisty bits in, in Brazil... This should have been an overall positive race and, and quite a good salvage job from a from a difficult weekend given Leclerc's grid penalty for a new engine. And instead, the question marks still remain over the engine on the legality side and now they've got a, the makings of a civil war brewing between the two drivers because of the actions of the driver that was meant to be their guide to the world title this year but is wilted under pressure more than I've, I think I've ever seen him. Well, it has... A few of the airs of what we saw last year, wasn't it, with uh, his uh, failures in the battle with uh, battles with Hamilton, unfortunately. But that's, uh, I think, that's just a very consistent pattern now in the in the Ferrari days. I don't really want to get too much into the the engine side of things with Ferrari, but we should say they looked very very quick on the straights. Had about six tenths advantage on, on the straights on Friday. Uh, at, at times they were rapid in free practice three on the straights but then come qualifying just a tenth and a half on the straights quicker than Verstappen's pole winning Red Bull uh, which was interesting it was interesting that's exactly the same word that Mercedes technical director James Allison used as well when I asked him about it on Saturday after qualifying um, and there, there were a few uh, but there were a few things about this weekend in terms of straight line speed performance that was slightly unusual shall we say you had the Red Bull Honda was was clearly very competitive. I think that the composition of the the Honda power unit it makes it partic- is particularly conducive to good performance at altitude. It's t- twice in three races now we've had a high altitude race where Red Bull and Honda have been competitive, and in fact, it's both qualifying sessions were topped by Max Verstappen. He just didn't get the pole, did he, in Mexico? Yeah, and we saw, well, funnily enough, got the first one of the season in Austria, which was at, uh, I think that's the like the third highest altitude circuit, isn't it? Interlagos is about 100 metres. Mexico is about three times that, isn't it? Mexico's it's more than two kilometres, isn't it? I think Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Mexico's way out of whack. But yeah, um, so it was interesting to see that that kind of straight line speed a little bit coming and going for the Ferraris, which was, uh, which was unusual, but no protests. Still, some insinuations going on, but uh, but yeah, the, the Ferrari straight line performance in qualifying wasn't anything uh, anything particularly out of uh, out of whack. So we, we could uh, we can move on from that one for for now. But we should talk about Max Verstappen and Red Bull. You kind of alluded to uh, some of the reasons why the Honda's good. The Red Bull's clearly good for this kind of circuit. Got got a few corners there where a nice strong front end will always help you really, but can help out. I think the car aerodynamically seems to work reasonably well in, the, in these conditions as well. So. This always struck me as the best uh, the best chance for Red Bull to get a late season win. Although they could have won Mexico as well, obviously. I uh, had things gone a little bit differently. And then Verstappen just just nailed it, didn't he? Just absolutely on it. And it, it wasn't a a simple race for him, was it? Because he had these opportunities to to mess it up, losing track position twice. Verstappen was just in one of those I'm mega and I'm going to be unstoppable in this race moods, wasn't he, it, uh, today? Because he 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 looked in control through the first stint. At, initially, I think we both thought he might have lost it at the start, but the second phase of his start seemed particularly good. And then when Vettel got mugged by Hamilton around the outside into the first corner, Verstappen was in the clear. Um, but every time he seemed to get the, the race sort of quite under control, there was a little curveball. First of all, was in the the pit stops, covered the uh, the the Hamilton Mercedes undercut, and it 
it was touch and go whether he'd emerge ahead because Hamilton was so much quicker in the middle sector it looked absolutely nailed on that, that Hamilton would successfully employ the undercut and get out ahead but then Hamilton caught Leclerc's long-running Ferrari at the end of the lap and got held up a bit. So I reckon that would have been really close, but then we we didn't get to see because when Verstappen's about to come out of the at the edge of the pit lane, there's an errant Robert Kubica Williams which has been released from the garage, a little bit of a delay. Kubica pulls out anyway into the path of Verstappen. It looked a little bit like he moved over on him. I think that was looking at his other stops. I think that's just a function of the. I mean, it did look like initially, but it's a function they got the last pit stop, and you want to get as far over to the right as possible, yank the car over to get the entry to the the left hander in the pit lane. So, uh, I think this one's basically on the on the, the the Williams team, but certainly as well as costing him costing Verstappen a little bit of time on the way in, it cost him a load of time on the way out. Yes, so Max had to take evasive action at the end of the pit lane, which he said resulted in him slowing down so much that apparently the anti-stall nearly kicked in. Um, and then he had to wait behind the, the the Williams through the pit exit all the way around, which obviously is quite it's quite unique, isn't it, into Lagos, so all the way around and then nail him on, on the exit. But that's when we saw the first glimpse of Max's I'm definitely not losing this race mood because Hamilton still couldn't get past Leclerc and spent two-thirds of the lap behind the Ferrari by the time they got to the end of the middle sector, when Hamilton did quite a nice move around the outside of Leclerc into that fast left-hander at the end of the sector. And Magulo. And then Verstappen just reacted immediately, dived down the inside of Leclerc at the very next corner. And by the time they're on the start-finish straight, Verstappen's within DRS range, has DRS, has the toe. And then I think Hamilton also, that they'd obviously not been quite the right amount of information transfer because Verstappen said he he just breezed past Hamilton in the end because Hamilton was basically out of out of boost wasn't he from the from, from the battery so so it at first it looked like wow that, that rebel Honda is massively fast in a straight line how's he done that but then it it transpired that Hamilton was it well the, he was suffering from clipping wasn't he it was it just wasn't wasn't there at the end of the at the end of the straight yeah, and I think he also, he almost seemed to be surprised by Verstappen as well, because normally you'd want to try and cover that way. And then he made that sort of late sort of wobble when he suddenly saw Verstappen there. So he seemed to be taken by, surprised by it. It was interesting because Verstappen came out about 1.7 seconds behind uh, Hamilton. I think that the, there was a little bit of a, I wouldn't go as far as to say it was a mistake, because Mercedes were trying to get track position in a fundamentally slight, well, maybe fractionally slower car, but basically they certainly didn't have a pace advantage. It was very, very similar. So inevitably they had to use up plenty of that battery on the outlap. And then I think the kind of, if there was a mistake there, it was it was not kind of cooling Hamilton off because getting past Leclerc was at less of a premium at that stage, simply because you can argue that Verstappen isn't going to get past him or is going to look harder for Verstappen to get past Hamilton if Hamilton does have uh, that that battery and he could also potentially even have, uh, have picked up some uh, some DRS from Leclerc had they all sort of gone to the, the last straight together so maybe once Kubica got in the way and made absolutely sure that, uh, that Hamilton was going to be ahead they could have and so it's tricky into Lagos because there's not Certainly, when it comes to the, uh, the the braking harvesting, there's not masses of braking zones, etc. But maybe Mercedes could have given themselves a tiny bit more of a shot there. But it was always it was always going to be difficult. But you know, for me, the great thing was that move Verstappen made on on Leclerc, just straight through at Junkau. and I think that played a part in surprising Hamilton and, and Mercedes as well, because I think they probably thought that they'd just at least get enough of a of a delay from from Leclerc there to stay ahead of, uh, of Verstappen on the straight. I was so impressed by what Verstappen did because he was he he was flawless uh he was he was flawless through qualifying and in the race. And when he needed to get his elbows out, when he needed to make that you know that show that decisiveness when the race is on the line and you've got a split second to make your move, he did everything right because he then goes on to lose having regained track position. He then goes on to lose it again, not through, um, well, not necessarily not through any, any fault of his own, but they cover the the second attempt at the Mercedes un, uh, undercut with relative ease. But then when there's the, the safety car, 
it's basically comes down to a split, doesn't it, between who stops the game for fresh tyres under the safety car and who stays out. And Mercedes basically told Hamilton the box opposite to Verstappen. Red Bull called Verstappen in for fresh rubber, or another set of tyres, rather. Forfeits track position, because obviously Hamilton stays out. So then he's got to do the job again. And while time is on his side and he's got the tyres to do it, you can never be 100% sure. Hamilton did his best to, to thwart that attack by by managing the, the the restart and backing them up. But Verstappen didn't waste any time, did he? No, just went straight past. Uh, really efficient, really effective driving from uh, Verstappen. And I think had the race kind of settled and all things been equal, it would have been a lot harder for him to get past. So on both of these occasions, he's absolutely cracked on when it when he's had to. And that's ultimately ensured he's won a race that had a, f- a few curveballs uh, uh, thrown in. Of course, that, that safety car was caused by, uh, by the Bottas engine uh, failure. And then his car got, uh, he parked in a great place, but his car was just slightly beached on the on the floor so they couldn't actually roll it back in so they had to use the tractor and as soon as the tractor is on is in within the track confines for very obvious reasons given things that have happened in the past it's automatically a safety car even though it only had to drag the car back a few meters but that's why there was such a big time difference between the moment Bottas parked and this slightly strange safety car that we weren't necessarily uh, expecting there was one other thing about Verstappen's race that was very impressive and it was from that moment to the end and it was his management of the final safety car restart even Hamilton who maybe you think all would would take issue with what Verstappen did which was taking that backing them up to an to a real extreme basically within sight of the of the line before before he gunned it and and went away and caused a lot of overlapping and a bit of a mess behind but it was was within the rules wasn't even looked at and and Hamilton said because I was waiting in the in the press conference and the drivers came out and before they were all mic'd up and ready to go, they were talking about the, the the final restart. And Hamilton was like, "Man, you absolutely nailed that." And yeah, I just think from start to finish, Max did everything right. And can we give a can we give the Autosport podcast listeners a bit of a sneak peek? That's got to be a ten out of ten in your driver ratings, hasn't it? For Verstappen, yes probably i will need to look into some of the fine details you never know what you find but it's certainly feeling like one at this stage should we say it will be decided in the hours after this podcast i I like to uh make sure uh i try and get all the facts in before i uh, have a pun slip but yeah excellent drive from max verstappen no question so many pitfalls he avoided the listeners are now going to be absolutely baffled when they they wake up check the driver's rate driver ratings and he's got a seven out of ten yeah well if he does, it will be for good reasons or because there's been a mistake in putting the number, uh, which is always possible by the time I come to, to write the number about 2am, something like that. Uh, but yeah, great drive from Max Verstappen. And then, of course, Lewis Hamilton then had this this, this strange roll of the dice at the, at the end of the race with that there was a little bit of not necessarily miscommunication, but not the ultimate clarity to him in that they kind of asked him for his opinion on the tyres. And Hamilton was quite keen on stopping because he obviously wanted some some fresh rubber. But they had told him you only lose one place, which would have been to Alex Alban. Uh, now, as it happens, they lost two places because Pierre Gasly, who had been not so long ago, I double-checked, he was about, I think he was 113, 114 seconds down on the leader. He'd got the lap back under the safety car. So Pierre Gasly was leading the midfield. His car was also there. So Hamilton actually lost two places when he kind of made this. He felt he hadn't been given guidance and just decided to to take it, which was, in James Allison's words, dumb. It was just one of those things. I should say, although there's a, there's a few things you could say, say he could have done better, ultimately, they've won both championships. They said they were going to be aggressive. They had a car that wasn't quite quick enough in, in qualifying and that didn't have this a, a pace advantage certainly to, to get past. So they had to they had to have a few punts to try and uh, to try and do something. But yeah, that 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 second stop, that that final stop rather, made no sense because we were almost at the end of the race. There was half a chance it was going to finish under safety car. We only had two green flag laps. I, I quite liked the the way that Mercedes was aggressive earlier in the race and I like the fact that they were forcing the issue. Sometimes it, it was a bit boring because the teams just fall into the pattern of of the, the race just playing out, really. So credit to them for, for, for trying to force the issue early on. But yeah, by their own admission, it was a misguided attempt at doing something sort of in recognition that the Red Bull was slightly faster or at least wasn't going to be overhauled on, on pace. Hamilton had said a few times during the race that he can't, he can't do this on in a, in a straight fight. 
so yeah, they're just trying to roll the dice and and, and they got it wrong. It, it's one thing, isn't it, if they drop behind Albon and then don't make the place back. It's another if you just completely forget to to factor in a, another car. Yeah, that was a that was not not that was just a, a, a plain mistake. I think that that just wasn't wasn't right. But of course, that created this situation where Hamilton had to come through a couple of cars. Obviously, he had in mind he wanted to have a go at Verstappen because he had a a tire a bit of a tire advantage at this time. So took that late restart in fourth place, dispatched Pierre Gasly, uh, having an excellent run at the front of the midfield. Um, straight away for third place and then was chasing Albon. Now, he got a five-second penalty for this incident with with, with Albon. I must admit, I've, I only saw it once live and I've fractionally modified my position on it, although not completely transformed it. What did you think of the penalty for causing a collision? Do you think that was merited? Of course, that, we should say, relegated Hamilton to uh, from, from third. Gasly just held him off, of course, down to seventh in the final results. I understand why the penalty has been given um, and it is the right decision in, because well, Hamilton was probably a bit too honest afterwards or too eager to accept the blame because by coming out and saying that he takes full responsibility because he was the car coming from behind and he didn't mean to hit Albon. He, he saw a gap, went for it and then the gap closed so he takes responsibility for the contact. Um he was banged to rights in the steward's eyes because he'd, he'd, he'd accepted the, the, the blame. So it was easy. They, it was easy for them to give him a five-second penalty. It, wasn't, it made a big difference because it dropped him to, to seventh in the results. But it wasn't you know race-ruining or anything like that. But I'm a bit torn on it, the incident because in Albon's own words... He wasn't. He had no idea where Hamilton was, and at some point he just had to turn in and hope a car wasn't there. That's what he said. And to my mind, that's slightly careless. Maybe it's a maybe it's a peril of the the mirrors on these cars and the nature of close racing. But it did look a little bit on first viewing like he had just thrown his car into the apex when there was an attack coming. And we've seen a few decisions from from the FIA recently that put the onus on the car on the outside to avoid contact and to give the car on the inside racing room. But we didn't see that today. Albon wasn't really... It it wasn't used in the the Albon-Hamilton incident. It wasn't used when Ricardo got penalised for trying to pass Magnussen into turn four, locking up over the kerb and then hitting Magnussen. There was no bit there to say, well, Magnussen on the outside should have left him more room. So it seemed a little bit like a conflict and a bit of a clash compared to recent rulings. But maybe I'm diving in a little bit too deep there. Just the FIA let them race rule. You kind of think, well, that's an, it was an honest attempt from Hamilton with one and a half laps remaining to take second in the race. And yeah, the consequences were big for Albon. But... Is was that not really the definition of a racing incident? A driver going for the inside, driver on the outside, taking a chance and turning in and hoping there's not contact? How, how do you apportion predominant blame there? I was already a little bit... Um, I was a bit frustrated with Alvin as the, the incident was happening, before the collision happened, because it's one of those corners where, obviously, he took the orthodox line, which is a wide approach, which leaves the, the door wide open. I'd have rather... I think we saw Leclerc do this at one stage when he had a tyre disadvantage earlier in the race. He held a slightly closer to middle line just to stop being leaving the door wide open. I think there was... I think Alvin kind of got himself into a little bit of trouble with not a great bit of racecraft uh, there. And then you saw, initially I thought, no way, was it a penalty? Well, let's do it again. And I, I kind of see where it's coming from, but I'd, I'd have been happy to let that one go, if I'm honest, because Hamilton, maybe maybe Hamilton's mistake was he, he, he almost did back out of it in the end, and that perhaps made it worse than it was. If he just sort of... Uh, uh, piled through once album started turning in maybe it would have been a little bit uh, a little bit different but I think Hamilton was magnanimous about it because you know, hey he can afford to be it's the end of the season I think this is the first time since that clash with Ricardo in Hungary several years ago that he's been found guilty so I think this is one of those days where he could because he, he could afford a to have a little bit of a go he could afford to be magnanimous and uh, and ultimately it's no massive cost to him cost to Albon but I think Albon could have played it better I agree. Um, it would have it, it was a shame because it would have been great to see 
Albon score his first Formula One podium. And Hamilton knew what that incident took away from Albon and was was very apologetic. I think that's partly probably why he took so much blame because he knew what he'd taken away from from Alex. And it's a shame that in that situation, Albon's racecraft wasn't quite up to scratch because, my word, the move he pulled to put himself in that position. I know he inherited second because of Hamilton's odd pit stop, but he wouldn't have been in that position to inherit that place if he hadn't pulled an absolutely brilliant move at the at the restart, were you as impressed with it as I was? Yeah, that was really good. He went around the outside of Vettel, ended up on the kind of artificial grass in the, out of the first bit of the Senna S, kept his foot in, made it work. You know, he, he's he's decent in battle, Albon. I think that was a really nice moment where, even though his pace hasn't been stunning this weekend, although, as we've talked about before, first season, being compared to Max Verstappen, not easy. He looked kind of at home, didn't he, up uh, up front in that regard, mixing it with drivers like Vettel. And uh, yeah, a, a podium I think would have been good for him. He kind of, I feel like to make it mission accomplished this year, he just needs to get that podium. He's only going to have one more chance now, but he he almost had it uh, had it here. Well, he he just has this really really encouraging trait, which I think very good drivers have, which is even if you're having a slightly muted race or weekend or whatever if there is an opportunity for you to to just show a little bit of resolve show a little bit that decisiveness we talked about with Verstappen if you get that one moment where you can suddenly make a very big difference and it's basically make or break for your race and you can grasp it that to me is the sign of a very good driver and Albon has that trait because there's a few times now where he's just shown he's able to turn around an average performance into what could be a good performance or a very good performance. And that's very impressive. The twisted thing for me with regards Albon's pursuit of a podium is that three of the four Red Bull drivers have now scored a podium this year. And we'll get on to, to Gasly's incredible second place in a moment, I'm sure. But it's twice now that Albon has put in a performance worthy of a podium. And it's been another Red Bull driver who's ended up not fluking it, that's unfair, but in Germany, Albon was the more impressive of the Toro Rosso drivers, but in the chaos of the rain-hit race, it was Danny Kvyat who ended up inheriting a podium place, and this time, when Albon's on the brink of it, having really, really done well to earn that position, Gasly, who did a very good job and deserved to have a little bit of good luck, he is the one who ends up inheriting his own first podium finish in F1. So slightly slightly twisted there. I don't know if Albon will see the funny side of it, but, but maybe he will in time. We should talk about Pierre Gasly, the world's happiest man, the world's shoutiest driver after uh, after crossing the line. I completely understand where he's coming from after the, after the season he's had. And the first thing we should say is, regardless of where he finished... He absolutely bossed the midfield on a weekend when the midfield was incredibly, incredibly close. He was seventh fast in qualifying, started six, and then just sat there at the front of Class B all the way through. Okay, had a bit of luck on his side, but ultimately, if you are at the front of the midfield and things go wrong for front runners, you will pick up these podiums. We talked a bit about the the performance of the the Honda engine, and that did make the Toro Rosso a much more competitive prospect in the midfield this weekend. But you still got to do the job. And while Gasly was was running around at the front of Class B, as we like to call it, his teammate was down at the the, the tail end of the yeah, field. He, he didn't get, he Gasly didn't, didn't get out Kvyat Kvyat. This, this weekend. Yeah, Kvyat was struggling, locking up all over the place in qualifying, and uh, yeah, it just goes to show. You know, people just, we talk about car performance being a defining thing. Yeah, the Toro Rosso was strong, but you still got to do the job. And Gasly did the job. He was he was really good. The weekend started with his former Red Bull team boss, Christian Horner, saying that Gasly's done an, ex- an, an exceptional job since he got demoted from Red Bull to Toro Rosso uh, during the summer break. Horner's been really impressed. I think everyone's been really impressed by the job. Gasly's done. I think, is it, is it five points finishes from eight now or something like that? And obviously including this amazing second podium of the year for Torosso. It's the first time they've achieved that second place. He put himself in a position to inherit a podium spot. He drove really well. He had a level head. He didn't panic. It was, I think it was, it's up there with Gasly's greatest F1 performances so far. 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, if you look at Bahrain last year, it's a little, little bit like that in uh, in many things. But he compared I, it to that as well. Although I think the diff, the thing that I was really impressed with, with Gasly is the fact he managed to hold off Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton had a little bit of front wing damage from the collision with Albon, but I don't know about you, but watching Hamilton all over him in Tsunoda, I thought oh, he's going to get ahead here, but he just sort of held firm. Hamilton got a little bit of a run, then just towards the end of the drag race to the line, the Honda Honda power came through, and and you could just see Gasly was. Absolutely, just almost willing the willing the car to get started. It was what was it? It was some tiny margin, wasn't it? It was certainly less than a. It was a virtual dead heat, wasn't it? Not quite. It was like six six hundredths of a second or something. But you know, really, really great for Gasly, and it, it just shows how sometimes when you get drivers who perhaps aren't the complete package, but are, but are very good. You know, the first half of the season, he was not he was not particularly good. He was one of the weakest drivers on the grid overall in terms of performance against what he delivered second half of the year he's been among among the better drivers so it's kind of <laughs> it, it it tells you how how these things can uh, happen and he's thrived in the environment he's looked confident he's been quick i still i'm a bit disappointed he doesn't seem to acknowledge some of the weaknesses that caused problems for himself at red bull and he did cause himself some problems there but overall this is a reminder that he's a very, very quick driver. There was a reason he got promoted. There was a reason he was so impressive last year. And I must admit, coming into the season, I wrote a column about it. I thought Gasly had the pace occasionally to give Verstappen the hurry up. It wasn't going to be out qualifying him all the time. But he had the pace to do that. We never saw that. And I think this is just a really nice, rounded performance delivered in the pressure point at the end. Brilliant. And Verstappen and Hamilton said much the same. They were both they're both very aware, obviously, Verstappen more so because he was his teammate. He was the one dishing out that harsh treatment of, of Gasly over the first 12 races but Verstappen and Hamilton both very aware of what Gasly's gone through this year and both said that they were really really pleased I think Hamilton said it was awesome and uh, like I think Verstappen said very similar just chuffed to see a guy who's been been through the ringer a little bit come out with a with a mega result like this and as we said he has been really really good since the summer break since that demotion he's handled it really well I wasn't entirely sure that Thursday at Spa, first day back, he didn't look like someone who'd come to terms with it, even though he'd had two or three weeks to think about it. He was saying all the wrong things and, and thinking about all the wrong things, but credit to him, since he got on track in a tour or so, I think he's been absolutely brilliant. Exactly, I'd agree with that, and he's outperformed Daniel Kvyat on balance. Though Kvyat's had a couple of patches of bad luck in the second half of the season, but Gasly's been the, the stronger Torosso driver in this period. And we also had a maiden podium once Hamilton was penalised for Carlos Sainz in the McLaren, who <laughs> was slightly, probably slightly surprised to find himself there. In that he started at the back, he had the uh, the ignition wiring problem in qualifying that manifested itself on his first flying lap, so he started from the back. Had a had a new engine in, um, and he's come through on a weekend when the McLaren is not was not the class of the midfield to get his first podium. And this he did that marathon stint on on mediums to the end, absolutely brilliant. And the thing that really amazed me is that final restart when Verstappen backed up people massively. Science was still on that set of mediums. The last thing he wanted was a slow restart, and it would put kind of that instantaneous traction demand on. And I remember watching, I think I said, oh, Carlos is just going to go backwards here. But somehow he managed to hold off the Alfa Romeos that were all over him in that period. Absolutely stunning that he managed to hold it off in that those, those last few laps. You see drivers in that situation go from up near the front down to 12th before you can blink. You mean drivers like Roman Grosjean? Uh, well, uh, he's been saddled with Hasses uh, in, in recent times, uh, which has not been ideal this season. Obviously, he ended up sliding back but to 13th. But what I mean so is he no. had that uh, restart, didn't he, um, in today's race? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it, again, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Sorry, I get the comparison now. Yeah, um, on, on aged tyres. And in fact, I think Sainz got him at that particular restart, <laughs> didn't he? He said he knew, knew he needed to. But Sainz has been really good this season, really strong. And... He reckoned this was his best best race performance. I'd agree with that. I'd probably put Austria up, up there before that. But that last little bit, which I, I just don't see... I mean, I asked him straight after the race. I put that exactly to him. I said, well, to be honest, watching that last restart, I thought you were a sitting duck. And he sort of said, yeah, I, I don't know how I did it. Um, but really, really good and survived, of course, this sort of... There's a little bit of a question mark about whether inappropriate DRS use under the yellow flag would lead to some penalties, but science got a uh, science wasn't penalised for that. And I think it's a shame he didn't get to celebrate properly on the real podium, though the team did go up there uh, later on. But much deserved, 
for him to get a podium, I think. Yeah, I'd say it's it's in the same uh, ballpark as, as Gasly, isn't it? You you make your own luck. And it was such a good performance up until that point that he deserved a bit of good fortune to go his way. This is, what was it, five and a half years with no McLaren on the podium. It's 118, 119 races, something like that. Um, it signs his first podium in F1. And Signs and McLaren have been excellent this year. They've deserved the criticism that they've got in recent seasons, but they've also earned a lot of praise this year from us and from from a lot of people because of the way they've gone about their job. They've done they've done it really well. And what I've liked from Signs this year is he's not just he's not one class B because on McLaren's good days he's been best of the rest. He's he's had performances where he's just properly properly hauled it up the grid. You know, you mentioned Austria that was a great performance and. And this was fantastic as well. Those days where you, it's not that you overperform the car or outperform the car. It's it's when it's when you absolutely nail everything. When people who have faster machinery and are better, and the odds are more in their favour, drop the ball. And that's one of the reasons why Signs has just developed into a really fantastic all-round driver this year. I think it's really been the making of him so far. Certainly, his strongest season in Formula One. And yeah. McLaren's had pretty much everything this year except the podium to show for for the massive step that they've made. Likewise, signs, and there you go. A bit of uh, good fortune on their side on the probably the one Sunday of the year where you would never think it would happen because they started last. They did the job. And as a footnote, that does now officially secure them fourth in the constructors' championship. It's already a foregone conclusion, really, but it's worth noting. I mean, all credit to them. A lot of soul searching in that team. A lot of change has been made, and I think there's some great strategic decisions being made for the future as well under the leadership of uh, Andreas Seidel. I think that's a team that I've got a lot more confidence in than I did uh, before. Now, the, the Hamilton penalty promoted the Alfa Romeo's of Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi to fourth and fifth, respectively. Relatively straightforward race for those two. Giovinazzi had to put in a really good first lap. Obviously, he'd spun on his, uh, his his Q2 lap and didn't get into Q3, unlike Kimi. The Alfa has struggled a bit recently. They put the upgrade on in Singapore, quite a big upgrade, and have struggled to get on top of it. But we started to see some pace from that car, and then here in Brazil, you know, they, they really showed they're on, on on top of it, and, you know, big points for them, and that's much needed after the, the middle part of the season. Uh, they've had, although the, the actual runs they had in the race were quite quite uneventful, should we say. Yeah, but it was a, it was almost a trademark Kimi Raikkonen result, wasn't it? Do a pretty good job. Well, not a pretty good job, that undervalues it. He did. He did a unflashy. Yeah, not grabbing the attention, but just doing the job. Everything your right. marks, no mistakes. Bang, bang, bang. Oh, there's a fifth place. And and what and what? Well, what became fourth? It was fourth. Uh, sorry, yes, yeah, across the line, fifth. Yeah, and, and then inherits yeah. fourth. But I must say, very impressed with Giovinazzi because I think th- this has got to be his his strongest performance so far. Just. Relative to Raikkonen, you know, if Raikkonen can put in that performance and Giovinazzi is the one following it up straight away, especially after the fact that he he didn't cover himself in glory in qualifying, I'd not, I've got a big problem with seeing drivers. I know qualifying is where you put it all on the line, but spinning in a dry qualifying session is a bit feels a bit amateurish. He he is a bit error prone, and uh, the the good thing with Giovinazzi is he has struggled after two years out. Personally, I think the two years out of racing excuse, it was very valid in the first half of the season. I think we need to be careful to be too generous and he has taken longer to get on top of some of the challenges of tyre management and the cut and thrust in the midfield than maybe he should have done. But he, he, he showed he, he's, uh, he's capable of really uh, really doing it today. I'm, I'm pleased with that, that result for him because, first of all, he's a nice guy. Uh, I want to see him do well because his story is very good as well. He's not he's not a driver that comes from money. He has had this time out. He's won Ferrari's trust. That's the reason he's in the seat. And the the, the bottom line is it's the reason he's in the seat for next year. I would my gut feeling is that Alpha would have taken Nico Hulkenberg if it was ultimately their choice. But it's a Ferrari seat. Ferrari wanted to keep him, and he has been re-signed for 2020. And I just think it's brilliant for him at the end of a really, really up and down season where there have been more downs than ups for him to put in a performance like that, the first race after being retained for next year, it just proves that it proves that it's not just, you know, paymasters 
making the decision and uh, it shows that there, that there is something about him and that's why he has the faith of someone like Ferrari. Yeah, he's got he's got ability. There's absolutely no question about that. It's been frustrating me a bit recently, but yeah, this, this is this was this was good. This was uh, this was proper. And in fact, behind him we had Daniel Ricciardo. You've mentioned him in that incident with uh, with Kevin Magnussen. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo somehow came out of this race weekend with sixth place. It wasn't a great one for for Renault, and of course he had that five second penalty for that uh, for that collision, which sent him to the uh, to the pits. Very very unpromising race for him, but. The, the, the safety cars helped him and then he took that uh, that penultimate restart in 12th place and then made up loads of places in that uh, that restart and then yeah crossed the line uh, well crossed the line in seventh place became six that to me was in a run that again wasn't wasn't a, a great mid, a brilliant midfield car this weekend and he's come away with a decent haul of points and how how Renault wish that would have happened a little bit more often this this season, shall we say? Yeah, but how how fitting is it or or appropriate for Renault that on a day when two people make uh, get their get their first podiums in F one, it's not um, it's not Renault as a team doing it. It's not someone like Nico Hulkenberg. They just do this a lot, don't they? I think it's like pretty much it's only Monza. I think this year is what it feels like where they've actually when there's been a little bit of uh but even that even Monza they they had a great run there but that was because they were genuinely fast yeah, when Monza, they, when, they were genuinely when, quick, when yeah. these results are up for grabs it's never Renault is it well remember Hockenheim Ricardo if memory serves pretty much out of the race really early on wasn't he and then Hulkenberg ran really well and then made that mistake got caught out on the uh, very slick drag strip start but yeah this this hasn't happened enough for Renault I should say I think Ricardo's had a very strong particularly second half of the season and and this was just a a good drive. I, mean, I think the the penalty for for what happened there seemed a little bit a little bit harsh with Magnussen. I felt. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, initially, I thought Magnussen had just turned across his bowels completely, and it was massively out of order. But then watched it back again, and Magnussen doesn't defend down to turn four, and actually keeps sort of a bit of a wide berth in There's on the entry space. to the corner. There is enough space. Ricardo is squeezed slightly towards the curb um, after turning, but by that point he's already committed and he's already made a mistake. He's already locked up. So, and Ricardo held his hands up and said that he's got to take responsibility for it because he tried something, made a mistake, and he took out Magnussen. So, can't really again similar to to Hamilton. I might personally think that that wasn't entirely the person on the inside's fault, but if they're going to come out and admit it and say, "Yeah, my bad." then it's bang to rights, aren't they? Again, stewards can, it's really easy for the stewards to justify it. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, yeah, Lewis Hamilton finished in seventh place behind Ricardo after his penalty. Landon Norris was eighth in the in the second McLaren. I think that was a, a pretty solid drive. He had a really, uh, really um, in amongst it on the first lap, obviously battling with Leclerc. I think perhaps he got a little bit too caught up in battling with Leclerc, which I think made it a bit... Uh, but it was a very satisfying reaction to what was a bit of a naughty swerve from Leclerc, wasn't it, on into the penultimate corner? Well, it's funny, actually, because it looked like that from the outside, but I watched it from Leclerc's on board, and it was nothing, really. It's, it's just one... I think it... I think it's a strange one, but it did look a bit odd. Yeah, I do think that, that in some way riled him a little bit, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, good solid drive from uh, from Landon Norris to back up uh, McCarran with the points. Sergio Perez finished ninth. Now, the the... the Racing point, all the Mercedes engine cars were a little bit behind where you might expect them. Even Williams were a little bit disappointed with the pace. I don't think the Mercedes, well, James Allison kind of admitted it. There's certain compromises you have with the turbo compressor, and uh, those compromises shouldn't have you being brilliant at uh, 800 meters into Lagos's because there's not many tracks that get up to that kind of. Uh, kind of level so racing point struggling the car didn't look great struggled it's not it's not a great car in terms of the front end front limited at, in when you're into Lagos is not ideal sometimes for some of the corners but we had Sergio Perez there in ninth place as he so often does um coming through with uh with a couple of points ahead of Daniel Kvyat who obviously picked up a point and spoke to him after the race and he uh obviously he was a little bit frustrated on a weekend when the car was so quick he wasn't able to do something a little bit, uh, a little bit more, um, but obviously he was trying to put a put a positive spin on the fact that Toro Rosso had uh, had picked up so many uh, many points. But I think if you could out, you'd be a little bit worried about Gasly kind of getting on top of you at that uh, at that team, given uh, given the pattern we've started to see. 
in this part of the season. Well, Kvyat's basically been given a free pass, hasn't he, to to get back into F1, and it's almost like, how many chances is this guy going to get? He's back in the in the Toro Rosso again for 2020, but if he can't have the edge and show himself to be superior to Gasly when Kvyat's had the full season in the car and Gasly's come in potentially a broken man after being smashed by Verstappen in Red Bull and then demoted with his career on the line and immediately Gasly comes out swinging and establishes an advantage. What's going to happen next year when Gasly has the full pre-season? I'd, I like I like the fact that Kvyat's come back. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good story for F1. And there have been times this year where he's done well. It was nice to see him get that podium in Germany, even though it wasn't entirely on merit. But... This sort of weekend proves the difference. I think Gasly is Gasly is forcing Red Bull to keep considering him, isn't he? In the in the medium term, but Kvyat just feels like he's he's place holding. Yeah, it's strange Kvyat. The first half of the season was genuinely good. There were some very strong drives. I'm going to say I think it was Barcelona was a really really good all round drive, really strong performance, for example. And uh, yeah, he's had some bad luck. Second half of the year at times, Monza, for example, he lost a a, a good result. But yeah, it's, it just seems to not not really really be coming. So uh, yeah, the uh, it's it's funny how the the sort of pressure and the momentum waxes and wanes between uh, between different drivers. Now um, Haas were quick over a single lap, particularly when it was cooler. Um, but we ended up with Kevin Magnussen eleventh and Roman Grosjean thirteenth. Uh, Grosjean hung around in the points for a chunk of the race, but then he ended up out hung out kind of on, on the older tyres and couldn't do what science did, as, as you pointed out. Actually ended up with George Russell and the Williams separating the two. George Russell only fourteen se- less than 14 seconds behind the, the winner. And, uh, yeah, not a, not a sign of great progress at Williams, but uh, just the way the the cards, uh, cards fell in the race. Uh, and, of course, he spent a little bit of the first part of the race behind Kibitza uh, before uh, finding his way his way past him and then there's sort of a bunch of stragglers further back Alexander Alban came home 14th Newcastle down in 15th didn't make much progress in the race and he was given a uh, a, a five second time penalty as well for overtaking under the safety car so he finished ahead of Kibitza of course who had his little cameo uh, which he was apologetic about when he held up Verstappen and actually the two Ferraris were classified in 17th and 18th uh, ahead of Lance Stroll who had um, some form of suspension or, or bearing problem um, with I think it was the front right, if memory serves. And as a small footnote, I think I'm right in saying this is the first time the fastest lap point has not been awarded. You must be delighted. I'm delighted because the fastest lap point is stupid. And I've, I've explained at, at length before why I think it's stupid. And I'm delighted at Valtteri Bottas for having picked it up and then retired because you don't get the point if you don't finish in the top 10, which, as I've said before, is a rule that shows how stupid it is and... Why shouldn't Valtteri Bottas have a point for that? Because that was a legitimate fastest lap. It wasn't through any weird strategy, but anyway, uh, I'm, I'm digressing. I shouldn't go down that rabbit hole. No, you shouldn't. We probably should tick off very, very briefly. After the high of Austin, not the not the greatest Bottas performance. It was it was looking pretty functional, and then his old weakness of just he just he's just not decisive enough in battle because he should have nailed Leclerc, shouldn't he? And he just sort of dithered a bit and, and wasn't getting the job done. Yeah, it did go a little bit that way. I think the good thing is Bottas's races, when they go really badly, they're not, they weren't kind of falling away quite as they were at the back end of last year. He's admitted he was already struggling. It was clearly that things weren't going well then. But yeah, this this wasn't a great, uh, brilliant weekend for uh, for Bottas after his recent, uh, recent good form. But again, tricky weekend for, for, for Mercedes, uh, should we say. Can we end with two cool stats? You can. Okay. They better be very cool. Though. Well, I think they are. I'm going to go with the first one. What uh, what engine is in the back of the Red Bull, Ed? I think it's a Honda, Scott. And what engine's in the back of the Toro Rosso, Ed? Is it a Honda? So what does that make today? The first Honda 1-2 of their return. And I believe it's the first Honda 1-2 since the 1991 Japanese Grand Prix. That sounds... Oh, that was, uh, that was where Berger was given the win, wasn't it? by Senna I think yes so that's going to be the, the stat that I contribute to this and Ed you can give everybody the other cool stat because we had two podium breakthroughs in the same race Sainz and Gasly first podium in F1 when was the last time that happened and who was it it was the 94 German Grand Prix Hockenheim which is one of my favourites because there were two separate shunts at the start 
And so, and we ended up with, they hadn't scored points all season, but second and third were Olivier Panis, then in his first F1 season, and Eric Bernard finished second and third for, for, for Ligier. First podium for both. That was a pretty, uh, pretty amazing result. I'm disappointed that I had to, I had to use uh, Forex, our uh, our database, to check that because that should have been there off the top of my head, really. Because I do, uh, I do enjoy that race. I can remember off the top of my head, of my head that Olivier Beretta was seventh in that race, his best F1 finish in the Larousse, incidentally, behind teammate Eric Comas, no less. Yeah, so you're a joke, and we can agree on that. You should be disappointed in yourself. Yeah, yeah. As always, that's that's how a Grand Prix weekend should end. But yeah, it's a. It's funny, isn't it? Because there was a little bit of a feeling at times this weekend that this was kind of a, a race too far and that all the titles have been decided. Everyone's getting a bit bored of the, the whispering about the engine stuff. But then this, as Formula One does, it's produced these storylines, hasn't it? We've suddenly got the Ferrari situation exploding. We've got Red Bull back up there winning a really eventful race, two maiden podium finishes for drivers, and suddenly stories absolutely everywhere which is uh which is which is good news for formula one and hopefully uh, that means abu dhabi in a couple of weeks the season finale can uh, can produce a few more i would be surprised if abu dhabi comes near this what i would say as a sign off is uh i do very much enjoy the brazilian grand prix there's it's got a lot about it uh from the the passion of the fans the celebrations it was really cool seeing bruno senna drive and McLaren MP44 today. That was brilliant. Yeah. But the but the you know the conditions of of Brazil and the circuit. The circuit's short, which means it's compact. Um, qualifying's much more interesting. Um, it's it, the 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 altitude is is a different factor as well. Temperatures were changing through the conditions were changing through the weekend. It's a it's a it's a good race to have at the end of the season because when everyone's tired, a little bit jaded, and there aren't that many story, it feels like there aren't that many storylines around. It's the kind of race that can throw something up, and I wouldn't it be amazing if this was the last race of the season with this crazy nature and all the storylines going into the off season and everyone talking and excited and I just can't get that excited and confident that Abu Dhabi will be the same. I just it, this feels like the sort of place to end the season with a place that can throw up this sort of race and Abu Dhabi just feels a bit sterile by comparison. But maybe we'll go there and it'll be superb. Yeah, well, we have uh, we did have one particularly madcap Abu Dhabi Grand Prix some years ago where there was all sorts of uh, colliding going on. But yeah, Interlagos is just one of those places, isn't it? And Brazil loves its motorsport. The whole Senna thing was brilliant. I was watching at the at the Senna S uh, for that with uh, j- just the... You could almost have been here when Senna was winning for the first time in 91. Okay, wrong car because... Obviously, the, the MP44 actually never raced it in, into Lagos at Rio. Uh, they raced out of 91 when Senna got his famous first home win. And that was really evocative. And it clearly meant a lot for the home crowd to uh, to enjoy enjoy that. And it's just it's just a place that loves motorsport and produces a great... It can produce great racing and ridiculous and eventful races as well, which is just why into Lagos, as we talked about in the last podcast in fact really does need to stay on the calendar and it sounds like it, it is going to so hopefully we'll be coming back here for many years to come well, thanks very much scott mitchell and thanks to everyone for joining us check out autosport.com there is all sorts of uh, fallout from the brazilian grand prix to have a look at there and the latest from the world of motorsport our plus subscriber area of course all sorts of in-depth coverage there you can read our driver ratings and decide how wrong i am you can even rate the drivers yourself we have a readers rate the driver drivers function there the old sport podcast of course is out every monday and thursday thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another auto sport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling. In my style. As big as I want to grow. Because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. But heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution. That's a revolution. It's It's a a new New year's Year's revolution. revolution. Start selling with Shopify to join the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand. From templates that make site design simple to customizations that let you grow at your pace, this is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com free22. That's shopify.com free22. Go to shopify.com to start your New Year's revolution today. Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.